Hello, and welcome to the reading room. This is Kate, or Mrs. Lemonade on Twitter, and today I will be reading A Feet Equal by Ishkabibble Bafflegab, Chapter 4, Stuff of Legends. This fic is rated for mature audiences. Please see the AO3 link in the description for additional tags. Kotsky floors the maven. In a fraction of the time, it takes a ravity to hang the freak in the air like the indignant centerpiece of a deranged mobile. Under regular circumstances, this would be the end of the fight, and make him lead on rounding up the anonymous chicken shit tearing for the stairwell. It wouldn't normally matter how fast she bounces back, because he'd already be flipping her over, wedging his knee between her shoulder blades, and slapping her into Target Eye's patented, quirk-sealing, movement-inhibiting handcuffs. Stiffies, as she calls them, the very product that pink-haired demon recently duped him into endorsing in the shittiest commercial of all time. Instead, he has to spend a crucial second replenishing his oxygen reserves and regaining his disrupted sense of balance and Maven takes full advantage of the opportunity to trundle herself sideways out of immediate striking range. Her temporary breakaway is irritating, but he does note with satisfaction that she's having to catch her own breath, knocked out of her either by the hard shock of his instep to her chest or the whiplash impact of her body slamming flat against the floor. He's on the attack again in no time, sliding into a scissor grab with his legs to pull her off balance, except she's more nimble than her gangly, awkward-ass form suggests, and she cuts again to one side just before he can wrap her shins and fling her right back to earth. Before he's fully lost the momentum of his dive, he rolls back and tucks his knees to his chest, kicking up to a wide stance on the roll forward and dropping to his knees to duck under the row of knuckles the maven sends flying for the bridge of his nose. Kotsky angles his fall so he lands a slant of her and aims a shovel hook, up at the base of her ribs that strikes devastatingly true. He feels the intended break and give, sees the mad panic in her, shit, definitely glowing again, eyes, as her lungs temporarily refuse to inflate. Again, he reminds himself, appreciating the irony of stealing the O2 maven's breath away. Sure, he's broken a rib, and knowing firsthand how much that shit hurts, he doesn't expect she'll be able to move for at least the next minute, let alone make an attack, so she nearly catches him out with the elbow she immediately brings down at the back of his head. The subtle displacement of air above him has him rolling instinctively into a somersault, and while he avoids the brunt of the attack, she gets in a glancing blow to his ear, which he fucks his balance so hard he almost lays himself flat. He gives himself the space of a full heartbeat to process the pain and recover as much of his equilibrium as he can, but no more, because Intel says all she needs is a couple seconds of uninterrupted focus to activate her quirk, and her bony witch fingers are already curling in circles, and she's grinning like a shark around the blood inexplicably streaming out of her nose. And then the air is poison. Carbon monoxide, at a high-ass concentration, if the dizzy, stabbing headache rapidly coming on is anything to go by. Kotsky knows this shit gets deadly fast, that he has precious little time to jam her up and neutralize her quirk before he spews or keels over or fucking both. He rushes her with one arm extended, and his trademark post-apocalyptic road warrior smile cranked clear up to bloodbath like he means to make with the pyrotechnics out of pure, suicidal desperation. 
It's a fake-out, of course. He's firing off jack shit till this crazy, resilient bag of bones goes down. But he makes a show of bracing his arm with the opposite hand, as if to absorb the shotgun recoil of his quirk, while what he actually does is furtively unbuckle and slide out of his left grenadier with rote ease, so he can chuck it point-blank into her mysteriously still-bleeding face. Or that's where he thinks he aims, anyway. She seems to teleport impossibly out of the way, and as the bracer goes sailing harmlessly past, he realizes he's misjudged her actual spatial distance. Barely, but enough. Still, rewarding as it would have been to watch the maven eat grenade and wipe the fuck out, even the missed pot shot distracts her into giving him an opening. Running a lightning-quick series of calculations to correct for his fucked visual acuity, and depending on his instincts for the rest, he spears out a hand, snagging the nape of her neck and folding her abruptly down. As she bends irresistibly at the waist, his knee smashes up into her solar plexus, and he hears the breath leave her this time in a choking, truncated cough. Somehow, after all this, the air is still fucking poison, and he unintentionally relaxes his grip in a lapse of blurry disorientation. Maven wastes no time rolling herself out of his clutch hold, but in spite of some seriously labored breathing and a face now fucking covered in blood, which he wagers has to be the drawback of sustained or repeated use of her quirk, she doesn't retreat. She closes on him with a snarl, striking randomly and sluggishly, without technique, but then she doesn't need much when he's having to expend twice as much energy to see straight and keep on his ass-eating feet. In the midst of their violently tangled-together brawl, Kotsky notices peripherally what Maven can see directly. Uraka, racing for the stairs, and the freak, pinned in midair, furiously, if pointlessly, thrashing. Under a shitting minute, and Uraka's already benched the trio's overpowered blowhard. He makes no attempt to stifle the feral smug smearing its way across his face as the mavens washes out with naked disbelief. What? is all Bones gets out, before he takes advantage of her split-second preoccupation and delivers a blow that very definitely dislocates her left shoulder. The maven screams, and the freaky-ass glow of her eyes finally dims, and holy shit he can breathe again. As he sucks in great, greedy gulps of fresh air, he sets either of his hands at the wrist and elbow of the maven's good arm, locking her shoulder joint and guiding her face first into the ground, with a gratifying, audible smack. Uraraka reaches the stairwell as he's reaching for the cuffs in his pocket. She doesn't look back to flash him the usual winking-smile combo, but she does lift two fingers into a waggling, victorious V as she disappears behind the door, clearly for his exclusive benefit. He rolls his eyes because every damn time. He's developed a stupid habit, too, of making the specific effort to look out for her kitsch routine, also every damn time. Toru! Soapbox shouts from his mid-air perch. Ignoring him, Kotsky fixes one of the crown bracelets to her right arm and watches with a private scowl as a custom-fitting cone of ultra-thin metal sheeting emerges in a cascading spiral, wrapping from wrist to just below her elbow. Her body stiffens unnaturally as he stoops to give her the matching set, and he knows an overpowering rigor is working its way through her, like an electrical current, that she'll be nearly fully immobilized in a matter of seconds. 
knows this because it hasn't been long since Eijiro and Ashido ambushed him in his fucking sleep, taking their lives into their hands to clap him into these devil shackles and snap incriminating photos of Eijiro, giving him a markered on Daruma makeover, all to fulfill a Mei Hatsume mandate, because somehow he is the lesser of two evils between them. Target Eyes blackmails him into an endorsement deal with the proofs, and escapes retribution by the same means. But a few weeks after the fact, Ashido shows up demanding to be fed, and Kotsky whips up a meal featuring a generous portion of ingredients rating in the hundreds of thousands of units on the Skullville's index for her and Ajiro both. The subsequent screaming chaos about squares them, by his reckoning. Again, from above, Unhand her! I will kill you! You vile... Katsuki assumes there's more, but the rest of Fissure's speech is drowned out suddenly by the literal deluge that issues forth from the ceiling. Apprehending the girl in the Kigurumi turns out to not be the chore Chako expects. The girl hasn't made it far, four or five flights max, so when Chako drops herself down the center of the stairwell, she's not even fully falling yet before she's swinging herself over the railing and onto the landing touching down, practically nose-to-nose with the floppy, nub-horned face of a cartoon dragon. Kigu Girl's hands go up instantly. I yield. The flat, detached tone of her voice slashes weirdly with the breathless desperation of her attempted getaway. This dissonance momentarily flusters Achako, but she moves to bind the girl all the same, cautiously, wary of the potential for sneak attacks but the girl makes no further bids for freedom and obeys Ochako's every instruction without question or hesitation. It isn't till she's wrapping her quirk-dampening rope around the girl's stomach and tying it off at the wrists that she happens to catch a shift of light that hits Kiku girl's pear green skin just right, enough for her to glimpse what looks very much like lines of circuitry snake in every which way across the landscape of the girl's face and neck running into and out of nodes the size of small freckles. Once she sees the fine markings, she wonders how she ever missed them. Achako steps back around to face her. Could I just... She asks, fingers hovering at the trim of the bedragoned hood. The girl nods, catching her meaning, and Achako gently peels back the heavy fabric, revealing a loose, tangled bob several shades darker than her skin, against which the maze of pale circuitry is unmistakable. Pachaco hazards an educated guess. You know, it didn't make sense to me before, when we were told there was a team looking to take out the registry, since whether or not the building's destroyed, the data's backed up on remote servers who knows where else. After that speech back there, I wondered if y'all were maybe aiming more for a symbolic kind of destruction, but that's not the case, is it? Are you the one they call malware? The girl's unfocused gaze suddenly sharpens. Affirmative. Ochako takes this in. The most elusive and prolific cybercriminal of the decade is here. Here, in person, to wipe the quirk registry. Among her many hacking talents, it's generally believed malware's quirk is electronic erasure the ability to extract digital data from its source code and purge it wholesale from every electronic space in which it exists. If she can get to it, supposedly, she can completely delete it. 
which must mean the source code for the registry's archives is inaccessible anywhere but on-site. I would like the record to reflect my full cooperation, she continues in corporate cadence. Achako nods automatically, still deep in thought. She can't help but wonder about this solemn-faced girl, about what unhappy history might have motivated her to ditch the safety of wherever she's kept herself squirreled away all these years, a location or series of locations the country's top minds, and quirks, have consistently failed to discover. It will. Then, thoughtfully, you must feel pretty strongly about this, huh? Taking out the registry, I mean. Malware looks at her directly in the eyes, and behind the already familiar indifference, Ochako thinks she sees sadness, and maybe anger, or determination. It is objectively unethical and amoral, is all she says, but with more conviction than anything else she's said so far. Ochako sets a hand on the girl's shoulder and walks her the short distance to the railing in silence. I agree, she eventually confesses. Malware blinks once. Slowly, skeptically, and I think a few of my friends do, too. She taps her calm, the little earbud all that remains of her grievously expensive headgear. Riot? Jack? Got a sec? Copy. And what's up? Sound in her ear simultaneously from Kyoka and Kirishima, respectively. Unknown target identified. Call sign Malware in custody. Whoa, What? Hiroshima exclaims. She voluntarily surrendered herself, and I'm looking to get her evacuated so I can head back up to help Ground Zero with the Maven. Dependably, Kyoka anticipates the common request. What floor are you on? We're on the 12th. Ochako glances around the stairwell and spies a black stenciled on 19 in the low lighting by the door. 19th. I'm in the stairwell. Interested in a drop-off? Sure thing. Red, you head up to 16. Looks like another pair of custodians there. Aravity, I'll signal you when I'm in the stairwell. Great, thanks, she cheerfully returns, reaching up to switch her comm back to receiver-only mode. In the restored silence of the otherwise vast, dim space, I think we both know Fissure Freak came here for a reason, too, that he meant to bring this place down after you did your part. Achako doesn't try to hide her consternation. There's nothing noble about the citywide devastation that would have caused, about the scores of innocent people who would have been hurt and killed. She pressed her fingers to Malware's forehead, lifts away her gravity, and musters a faint smile. Lucky for you, we're not going to let that happen. Ajako takes the girl by the wrists, gently leads her up and over the railing, holds her at a still hover in the yawning expanse below her. Malware's eyes widen, but Achako reassures the girl she means no harm. Gradually, Malware relaxes. It may take some time before the authorities will let me, but I'll come see you when I can, and we can talk alternatives. Maybe even with one or two of those like-minded friends I mentioned. If you're up for that? Deadpan features come alive with incredulity. A hollow promise, the girl hedges, but Achako hears it the dull edge of hopeful expectation. A promise all the same. A distinctive metallic creak echoes up at them, the sound of a door opening. But when I do follow through, I hope you'll work with us on figuring up some fixes. Achako's receiver activates. Here, Kyoka says, right after Malware asks, why? 
A bright beam of light flashes up at him once, twice, to indicate where Kyoka's waiting. Because if there are people out there so sure we're on the wrong track, they're willing to wreck a whole city to make the point, maybe it's time we at least explore our options. She releases Malware's hands and settles her palms on either of the girl's large shoulders. Then, peering into the semi-dark to gauge the distance to Kyoka, she pushes down with carefully measured force. I'll see you again soon. She smiles again and waves, and amazingly, from her midsection, the girl raises one felt paw and waves back. It's not much, but it feels like a great start, and heartens her as she listens for Kyoka to confirm Malware's safe landing. After a few seconds, package received. She's about to say her thanks when Kyoka speaks up again, urgently. Aravity, Malware says we're dealing with a quartet, not a trio. Ashako's already torpedoing herself up the central shaft of the stairwell when Bakugo's breathless, eternally agitated voice rips right across the transmission. Yeah, no shit. Ashako throws open the emergency exit with her heart in her throat. How could she have forgotten the shuffling someone from the floor above? And takes the scene in all at once. Fissure, still flailing helplessly where she left him, the maven, frozen in an eerie contortion on the floor near a corner office, and Bakugo, twisting up from a drop kick like a demented top and lunging forward to clap his hands point-blank into the face of the fourth and final member of his motley crew, which sets off a concentrated explosion that appears to dissolve the other person's entire head, and for one awful, reeling moment, Achako thinks she's just witnessed Bakugo brutally murdering his opponent but then he sees her, and instead of the guilty shock she'd expect of a hero caught in the commission of a heinous crime, he grins like a demon and rockets toward her, through the incredibly thick cloud of sizzly smoke produced by his attack. By the time he breaks to a heel-digging halt in front of her, she's already put her sick suspicion to bed, and shifted her focus to the tower of wet Bakugo currently dominating her field of vision. It clicks in an instant. The damp office wreckage close by, her freshly soaked partner, the reckless seaman headshot, an unusual amount of boiling steam. The sum of the parts is obvious. Bakugo holds his hand out for her and rumbles. Took you long enough, though there's no real reproach in it. She tamps down hard on the shaken feeling she feels to see him safe, if definitely not unscathed, and takes his hand without a second thought. With the gentle tug of his fingers against her wrist, he leans her forward and steps around behind her at the same time, and in an affront-to-back configuration that makes her feel immediately like she's about to hit her weight limit, though she knows for a fact she's nowhere near it. Want to guess what this asshole's made of? There's simply, something gruffly giddy about the question, but she's too distracted by the way his breath ghosts over the shell of her ear to wonder why. Water? She answers faintly feeling parched and wishing she had some for herself. When he doesn't respond, she chances a backward glance and finds him arrested by a dubious outrage. What the shit, you're psychic now? Despite the circumstances, she can't help the puffed snort of laughter that wins free at his stony, brow-twitching glower, because it's the same apoplectic Pomeranian shtick he pulls any time she wears Deku merch in his presence. As she watches, the expression morphs into an angry pout, which she absolutely means to tease him about later. Bakugo's reactions are always priceless when she accuses him of being in any way cute. 
Lucky guess. Achako smiles softly and draws in a deep, calming breath. The moment of levity helps dispel some of the odd tension in the air and restores her focus. She has only a vague awareness of the warm hand he lays flat between her ribs, high on her stomach, to hold her in place against him, laser-focused as she now is on making out the not-headless figure step in slow and stilted toward the prone maven through the lingering fog. And the low, gravel, weird girl, Bakugo murmurs into her hair, barely registers at all being that she's so focused on working out which among their inventory of combos he's looking to open with from this position. Her level of pure focus at this moment is the stuff of legends. Finally, ready, he checks. Hachako answers with a question of her own. Whiplash? A beat of silence, followed by a nettled, obviously. She curls her fingers into a loose fist to float herself then returns her hand to Bakugo's forearm, which she's only just realizing is missing its grenadier, to lift him off too. Then, finally able to see well enough into the diminishing haze to make out the actual form of the mysterious fourth member, coughing quietly into her elbow and perilously close to touching the maven for who knows what purpose, Achako tightens her grip on his arm and nods. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this reading, please use the AO3 link in the description to give the author a well-deserved kudos and comment. Also, don't hesitate to message us on Twitter with your requests for fix to be read.